Hello, this is Patrick Ball. How are you on this fine day? Welcome to On The Fly, a podcast about whatever comes to mind, really. In this episode, who was Stephen Hawking? Welcome to Chapter 6 of the children's book, Who Was Stephen Hawking? by Jim Gioletti. Learn about how Stephen overcame insurmountable obstacles to finish his book, A Brief History of Time. Chapter 6, A Book for Everyone Stephen dreamed of writing a book about the answers to his big questions, but he wanted it to be a book that everyone could read and understand, not just scientists. He wanted to write a book that people could pick up at the airport, say, and read on a flight to a faraway place. After all, why should his discoveries be limited to the small group of scientists who could think like him? The publishers weren't so sure. A book about how the universe works wasn't the kind of light reading travelers picked up at airport newsstands. It wasn't the kind of reading most people picked up at bookstores anywhere. But Stephen really believed that people would be interested in his topic if he could explain it in everyday language. So he began working very hard at writing his book. By 1984, he had finished the first chapter, and he found a publisher who was interested. The next year, he finished writing the rest of the book. Stephen was happy. The publisher was not. The language was still very scientific, and his theories were still too hard for most people to understand. Physics is a very complex subject, so his editors sent Stephen's manuscript back to him with suggestions for fixes. Now, that's not unusual in the world of publishing. However, Stephen got sick before he could make any of the corrections. While at a conference in Switzerland in 1985, he became very ill. An ambulance came to his hotel and rushed him to the hospital. Stephen had pneumonia, an illness that affects the lungs and is usually treatable in healthy people. But for Stephen, who was already very sick with ALS, it looked as if it would be a disaster. Doctors gave up any hope of saving him, but Jane did not. She wanted him to return to Cambridge for treatment. The doctors warned her he could die if they moved him. Jane insisted and she and Stephen returned to England. After several weeks, Stephen recovered, but in order for him to breathe on his own, without all the tubes he had been hooked up to in the hospital in Switzerland, they had to perform a surgery called a tracheotomy. After his tracheotomy, Stephen breathed only through a tube in his throat instead of through his nose and mouth. He already had trouble speaking before. 
Now Stephen would never be able to talk on his own again. He had no voice. Stephen was alive, but there were new and bigger questions in his life. What would he do about work? How would he communicate with people? How could he possibly finish his book? He couldn't write it on paper. He couldn't type it himself. Now he couldn't even speak the words out loud for someone else to type. The only way he could communicate was by nodding his head or blinking when someone pointed to the letters on a spelling board. It would take forever to complete a book that way. It was another tough time for Stephen. The many weeks of recovery were the darkest of my life, he said. Now he needed medical care around the clock. And with nurses around all the time, there would be little privacy for Stephen and Jane. Times may have been difficult, but Stephen and Jane never gave up hope. Britain's National Health Service and different charities agreed to help pay for Stephen's costly care. Even more valuable help came from the United States. A computer expert in California sent Stephen a program called Equalizer that would work on Stephen's computer at the university and at home. In Equalizer, Stephen could highlight certain words or phrases by clicking a device he held in his hand. It was similar to a computer mouse. A computer-generated voice then spoke the words he had highlighted. It was a long way from today's technology, but it gave Stephen a way to communicate. Stephen's doctors and assistants were amazed at how quickly he learned the program. The only downside was that the early versions of the software allowed him to create only about 10 words per minute. That is a slow rate of speech. But Stephen joked, I think slowly, so it suited me quite well. Stephen was back in business. Although it was a long process, he finished the corrections to his manuscript, and in 1988, his book, A Brief History of Time, was published around the world. At this point, let's add a little insert, titled, The Chair. Stephen's first wheelchair in 1969 was very basic, but in his later years, he used a chair that was a high-tech marvel. From his chair, Stephen could write speeches, send emails, and browse the web. He could talk to visitors and communicate over Skype. He could even operate the TV, turn the lights on and off, and open and close doors. It was all done with a sensor attached to his glasses. The sensor controlled a computer system mounted on the arm of his chair. The computer was a Windows tablet PC with a 12-inch screen. The sensor on his glasses detected movement in the cheek muscle Stephen twitched to highlight letters, words, phrases, or commands. Written words were translated into Stephen's voice by a synthesizer, an electronic instrument that produces sound, mounted on the back of the chair. Everything was powered by a battery pack kept under the seat.
What an amazing device. So join me next time for Who Was Stephen Hawking? Chapter 7, Celebrity Status. I'm Patrick Ball. Thanks so much for listening. I'll see you in the next episode.